I discovered something over the weekend, and it involves the commentator's curse. We always talk about the yes. commentator's curse in football or just any sport in, in realistic terms. But the commentator's curse, I found out. Matty Russell, good day to you. I found out this weekend it works outside of your actual commentary duties at a game in the commentary box because yesterday I fly back from Townsville, get home in time to pick up my son and then take him to his water polo game, his club game. And I'm sitting there. It's just after halftime. They're in the third quarter. The team they're playing, it's one all. Nice, tight contest. He's playing centre back. He's playing pretty well. And my wife texts me and says, how's the game going? And I say, game's going good. It's one all in the third quarter. She sends another text back saying, how's Josh playing? And which position is he playing? I said, he's at centre back with his wingspan. He's a big, long, awkward thing like me. <laughs> he's pretty handy at stopping the ball and stopping the ball getting into the centre forward, who he is marking. The moment I hit send on my mobile phone, they lob a ball over his head and the centre forward scores for the other team, who then goes on to win 6-3. <laughs> the commentator's curse. It got my son yesterday. G'day, was Don't we see it time and time again? Yesterday in Mudgee, Ricky Stewart said, we have to cut our avoidable errors. And I looked down at the error count well into the game. The Raiders had made only one. So I relay that story about Ricky Stewart's comment. And on cue, as I finish the sentence, Elliot Whitehead steams onto the ball and puts it down. <laughs> then I give Blake Austin a rap for his defence, which he has been criticised for this season. He's going really well. He's making one-on-one -on -one tackles, reading the attack well. And sure enough, as soon as I've said it, He's caught out a couple of times. So the commentator's curse, it keeps coming back. It's uncanny. I reckon if you're at university and looking for a thesis to do, this wouldn't be about if, if journalism or sports communication or whatever the course is that you're doing out there and you're looking for a subject to study, I reckon to sit down in front of the TV and count the number of times the commentator's curse comes into effect. It's unbelievable. Well, we were driving home from Mudgee on dusk talking about the threat is kangaroos bouncing onto the road. And I said, nah, we'll be right. And as soon as I oh, said it, I didn't. thought, no, what have I done? We're destined to hit a kangaroo. But thankfully, that commentator's curse did not unfold. <laughs> and we're here safely to tell the story about it, was. Oh, the entire minibus would have turned around yeah. and gone, what have you done to us? Exactly. Please, you can't do that, Matty. But didn't we have some travels over the weekend, was? We did. I was in Brisbane. I was then in Townsville. Um, and then made the, the long haul back, stopping at Brisbane on the way home yesterday, uh, helped by our very good friends from Qantas. Um, maybe we should get, try and get them as a sponsor. That'd be good. If you can take me now. Yeah. I have <laughs> seen it all. But on the way back, I mean, this, the weather along the east coast of Australia yesterday, it's the same again here, especially in Sydney today. I mean, autumn, clear autumn days, not a hint of smog in this part of the world in the air. And there I am sitting in the window seat, snapping pictures. And you can go to at Warren Smith Fox if you're a desperate and want to see the photos <laughs> I was taking out the window. That's a good one. Along the east coast of um, Australia yesterday. It was I love, I'm, I'm a bit of a photography buff. So I'm always, you know, looking for a, a chance for a snap. And yesterday was just glorious. You know, leaving Brisbane, flying over Moreton Bay, the, the colours of the sandbars and the water there. And then flying into Sydney, the harbour just literally shining in the afternoon, early afternoon sun 
And, you know, over Botany Bay, we sweep around Cronulla. It's just, we are such a lucky people to live in this part of the world and you get a sense of that from 30,000 feet at times. I was up and back to the Gold Coast on Saturday. Again, beautiful conditions on the coast. And then out to Mudgee was where that field, the Glen Willow Sports Complex, as it's called, uh, it is a beautiful ground and it, it is well set up. The panoramic view around the ground is sensational. And the drive out there was so enjoyable, getting back out into the country areas. I spent a lot of my early working life in the Central West, uh, out of Orange, actually, and to be back there. It's a great part of the world. And if people are listening to this in a city centre somewhere around Australia and you're contemplating a little getaway, then I would thoroughly recommend it. It's a beautiful part of the world, Mudgee. Yep, and I've been to Mudgee in the past on the way through to Dubbo again for water polo state titles and the like. Um, it's fantastic. Spent a couple of nights there um, only 18 months ago, just before Christmas uh, 2016 it was. And I can heartily recommend the wineries and just the restaurants in town. It's a great spot. And I think so far the NRL initiative and with the clubs on board of taking these games to country areas, um, you don't want to overdo it, but so far... So good. It has worked very well, and it was a great scene again with the Raiders and the Dragons yesterday. From Toowoomba to Gladstone to Tamworth to Bathurst to Mudgee, I think they've all worked. You hit the nail on the head. No need to overdo it, but there is a need to continue to do it. And when we talk about the great weather that we witnessed over the weekend, it is great for you and I was, but it's not so great for the people who work the land. And I was conscious of that yesterday, just how brown the landscape was mm. outside the the immaculate playing surface. So I said great weather, and I did have in mind that it's not great weather if you're working the land because it is so dry. They need some dark skies and a bit of precipitation. I don't know when it's ever going to rain again here in Sydney. Up there in Townsville, it always seems fairly lush and green, the tropical north or the subtropical north up there. Um, what a game and what a finish we saw between the Rabbitohs and the Cowboys. Now, funnily enough, walking into 1300 Smile Stadium, Corey Parker and I had just arrive from Brisbane, we go straight to the ground, and who should we bump into but Jonathan Thurston walking into the ground. We're having a bit of a chat, and he just said, you know, we just can you get the footy gods to smile on us today at some stage because we just sort of, they just sort of, I think they feel like they've been close, but they just can't get the right call at the right time. Their handling, he said, hasn't been quite as good as it was, obviously, in 2017 on their way to the, the grand final. Um, and then, funnily enough, there they are. They're behind for the entire game, and Michael Morgan slotted a tremendous field goal, and there were a couple of beauties. Ashley Taylor kicked a great one for the Titans in a close game. Um, Gareth Widdop, likewise, yesterday against the Raiders out there in your game at Mudgee. Some of the strikes and the ability of these playmakers to kick field goals has improved, I think, dramatically in the last five years especially. Their, their skill set is enormous, and on the wrong foot or off balance, they can still hit them so sweetly, and Michael Morgan does exactly that. A bit of a sneaky one when they weren't expecting it. Boom, puts them in front, 19-18. And then they come down the field, force a goal line dropout, and you go, well, they're going to finally get home here today. But the bunnies go short. Kyle Felt, of all people, can't clean up the short goal line dropout. The bunnies come down the field. George Burgess goes very close to scoring. And then they go for the, the field goal themselves. Jake Granville comes out, forces Adam Reynolds to change tack. He slews it off the boot, and you think, they've won the game. And then you look up, and the referee is blowing the whistle with his arm extended to give a penalty right in front 
to South Sydney. And that, that before even the kick was lined up, you knew that was the game. And we are just losing our minds in the commentary box watching this. It was an incredible way to lose a game. And when you see the Rabbitohs win a game like that, perhaps you think this has got the sort of hallmarks of 2014 written all over it again. They just have that look about them, and they're finding ways to win games where other teams are finding ways to lose games. Well, let me tell a story about the end to that game. We were watching your call. I had my phone, Foxtel Go. I had Jimmy Smith, our Fox League colleague, working for Croc Media on one side of me on the plane, and Blocker Roach sitting on the other. We were midway down the uh, the fuselage, and we were screaming ourselves. And the hosties and the other people on the plane were looking around at us. We were uh, forgetting where we were as we watched that amazing finish. And it is uncanny how when teams are struggling and down on their luck, Lady Luck seems to desert them. And that's what she's done to mm. North Queensland again. Uh, a huge finish to continue what was ultimately, I believe, our, our our best, in inverted commas, Super Saturday of the year in terms of uh, great tries, drama galore, talking points. It was sensational from kickoff to finish, and I mean sensational literally. It, it was sensational all the way through the afternoon on Fox League. The Damien Cook try where he raced out of dummy half for South Sydney, burnt them all. It continued a, th- a theme from the round was, and that is that speed kills defensive lines. We saw it from Kalen Ponga. We saw it from Matt Dufty yesterday. We saw it from Damien Cook. We saw it from Jermaine Asako. And we saw it with you calling what I believe will finish as try of the year. And Roberts, though, yeah. running past everybody. He runs towards Tedesco. Goes straight past him. Jimmy, the Jet, has liftoff in Brisbane. Wow. Jimmy, the Jet. It was old school, under-12s rugby league, the fastest and best player on the paddock, just gets the ball and runs around everybody. Unbelievable. Jimmy the Jet, we knew he was fast, was great call. What a moment to be in the commentary box and watch that. It was absolutely outrageous to see that unfold because you just don't see that at the NRL level. It happens in the under-7s or the under-8s, or maybe the 12s or the 13s. But by about that stage, somebody, the, you know, the speed differential between young kids sort of starts to even out a bit as they get to teenagers. You just don't see it at the NRL level where Roberts can get the ball pretty much in the middle of the field, old-fashioned, go east-west, runs around everybody down the sideline and then back through the middle, beats the cover. He, he was on a different planet he was going in eighth gear, and the rest of them were stuck in second, like they were in treacle. And he ran past some flat-out athletes, mm. like Latrell Mitchell and Joseph Manu, James Tedesco. I mean, you, just, you can't imagine what it's like. And the, the stadium, that there was you know, 30,000 or thereabouts watching the game, just erupts as it builds and builds. And you keep thinking, somebody's going to get to him, but then suddenly you realise nobody is going to stop him. He's unbelievable. It was awe-inspiring. The turn of speed, the blistering pace. But if we bring it back to a commentary perspective, the basis on which this podcast is built, I imagine when you put your head on your pillow that night, you were pretty comfortable that you'd nailed that call and really satisfied that when that gets played umpteen times between now and the end of the season at awards nights, during highlight packages, that you got it right. Am I right? 
Pretty much, yeah. There's times where, and we went through this a couple of weeks ago off the back of the Melbourne St. George Illawarra game. Um, I was pretty happy with that one. That was okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounded great and it just summed up the moment. It was uh, commentary to match. An amazing show of athleticism, I thought. And, you know, it's a game that's built on contact and often strength is is made a highlight. But when you see speed like that, we often hear that there is no substitute for speed. And I agree. The one I am at the moment second-guessing myself on over the weekend, and we'll wait and see how it pans out. We'll know in around about a week's time or just over a week's time when they do name uh, the Origin teams for Origin 1. But the Damien Cook try you referenced, which again was a ridiculous show of speed, and he he can run and not lose speed at angles and run around players the way Andrew Eddinghausen used to do on the wing or playing in the centres for Cronulla and New South Wales and also Australia. Et had that incredible ability to run and you know be at angles and you know be sort of like going around a corner, but at exactly the same speed that he would be going in a yeah. straight line at. And Damien Cook can do that. But he's playing, he's a hooker. Yeah. He's in the middle, making all these tackles and everything that goes with playing in the middle of the field, but he still has that ability. So as he scores the try, I give it the, give him the jumper now, the sky blue one with the number nine on the back because he has to be in the team. <laughs> so we'll wait and see what Freddie and Brandy and Bedsy what they think of my commentary. Well, I stood beside uh, Danny Badiris yesterday, and I believe that given the race to this New South Wales number nine jersey, that Damien Cook is bringing the best out of Cam McInnes, and Cam McInnes is bringing the best out of Damien Cook. And the best part about it is, when I've interviewed these players, they haven't brushed aside the origin question. They've both admitted they'd love to play for New South Wales. They're, They're... they're doing the best they can, and they believe they are worthy of New South Wales selection, which I think is fantastic. And I'm convinced they are lifting each week because of the competition. And after Damien Cook burnt North Queensland on Saturday, Cam McInnes didn't do a lot of running at Mudgee, but when he did, it was fantastic. And the one time he ran to set up a try, it was brilliant. He scooted out of dummy half. Then he was backed up by Dufty, who kicked superbly, supremely for Gareth Widdop. And I, and I turned to Danny Badiris and gave him a wink. And, and uh, yeah, it's a real race. It's a real race, but I think your commentary, from what I'm hearing, is accurate. I think Damien Cook has his uh, nose or chest just in front as they look to hit the ribbon on selection day <laughs> just in front of the other number nine. We sort of went through it a bit last week in, in regards to that number nine um, situation with Cook and McInnes. You know, either way... Uh, New South Wales is in good hands given the form of both players. They're both playing tremendously well, and you mentioned that moment yesterday at a crucial time in the second half for Cam McInnes to get out and do what he did, make that little half bust and then the ball around the corner. Um, They're both playing great. Maybe, you know, they both can't play because I don't see how either of them comes off the bench. Sure, Cook could fill a couple of spots. Maybe Tyrone Peachy is more a, a versatile utility player. But the way Damien Cook's going at the moment, you could play him pretty much anywhere, I guess. He's just in ridiculous form. It's fantastic to watch both of them go about their work at the moment. That's as far as some of the good stuff over the weekend. Now, depending on your point of view, this is not the this is the not so good stuff, I guess. Do you want to talk about Dylan Napa? Yeah, let's because and, I think we're Corbin gonna be Sims? slightly different. I think we're gonna be different in our approach on this. So I'll I'll let you go first, Was. So during the game, it's tight. It's actually very tight because the scores are locked. They're, they're locked together, and there's five minutes to go. 
and the Roosters are looking to really make a statement, force a mistake, and try and win the game by getting possession, perhaps, in the Broncos' end of the field. There was a big tackle on the play before Dylan Narper off the back of that comes screaming out of the line. Now, we, we wrap Dylan Narper, and rightly so, for his ability to pull off big tackles. The tackle on Corbin Sims was of a very different nature, though, to most of the tackles that Dylan Narper makes. Ordinarily, he's in the defensive line holding his spot, his spacing in the defensive line, and a forward or a player will change angles and come towards him, and he leans his body weight, gets down low, and uses his lower body to use the energy of his body weight and jam the player, catches him at the right moment, the timing is correct, and he gets him invariably in the chest, and it's a big collision. The nature of his tackle on Corbin Sims is very different. He's in the line, and he races out of the line the moment the ball is played. He's not offside, but he's coming out at completely full tilt. That decision on itself, that means his margin for error is minuscule. He has to get it right, otherwise the collision and the contact could be very bad. And that's the way it turned out. Kiri almost giving away a penalty, and then Dylan Narber coming out, just launches himself at Corbin Sims. Sims is left on the ground, Thayday resents the tackle, and this might get ugly in a moment. Well, he he gets him with his head. He's braced, and, and, and Sims has come off his right foot. That's hit Sims flush on the Huckleberry. If you lead with your head, and the contact on the other player is with the head, make a case that he's got a bit of trouble here, Dylan Napa. He's led with the head in a dangerous fashion. It's on report, and he's in the bin. And in the bin as well. Wow. Double jeopardy for Dylan Napa and the Roosters. People are saying that Corbin Sims contributes to the tackle by moving and trying to step away. What do you do when you've got the ball? The nature, the the idea of the game is that when you've got the ball, you try to avoid being tackled. They're not crash test dummies. Mm -hmm. So when you see a 120-kilogram front rower coming towards you and you have time to avoid the contact, you will try to avoid the contact. He's not at fault. He's doing what he's done his entire life. Dylan Napa forces the situation on Corbin Sims because he comes out at 100 miles an hour. Now, he can do that, and we saw this only a matter of weeks ago and spoke about it right here on this podcast where Dean Fare does something very similar comes racing out of the line and jammed Jeremy Marshall King in that game between the Panthers and the Bulldogs. Dean Fare got there in time. His timing was right, and he hit Marshall King in the chest with a completely legal tackle and no chance of an accidental collision of heads. Napa got the timing wrong, and that's why his head hit Corbin Sims and consequently has broken his jaw. Yeah. He should have been charged. 
And our sympathy to Corbin, Chim, Corbin Sims because he's facing a stint on the sideline now and it's not his fault in any way, shape or form. I'm not violently against you, Was I just take a slightly more simplistic view. You want your forwards, your front rowers to be, in inverted commas, slightly crazy, to be aggressive, to, to bring the combat and the contact to the great sport of rugby league. I believe that Dylan Napa flew up and was wild in the tackle and high in the tackle and therefore deserved to be penalised and placed on report for making contact with a head because he was high and a little bit wild. I expected him not to be sinbinned like he was. I think he was sinbinned because of the outcome and because of the spectacular nature of it. How could he be sinbinned when earlier on this season Sam Burgess nearly takes Aiden Caesar's head off well, that's right. and stays on the field? Exactly. That's not consistent. So no sinbinning. Penalty I'm happy with because uh, Dylan Napa, by putting himself in that position, is liable to be penalised when it goes wrong like it did. And then, I, as we communicated over the weekend, I thought he would get a grade one charge and, and I would have been happy with that. But the level of outrage directed towards Dylan for that, I, I think has gone a little bit over the top. I'm, I'm so sad for Corbin Sims, but I think if you ask Corbin Sims, could he have done something similar in games, he'd probably look at me and say, yes, I, I would. I could. I want to be an enforcer. I want to be dominant. So I'm not horribly against you. I'm just wondering whether, you know, I think that I'm, I'm surprised he wasn't charged. I thought he'd get a grade one, but I don't think he should have been sinbin, and that's what I think Trent Robinson was arguing. Yeah, and whether the sinbin, well, they're 12 versus 13 for the final five minutes of the game, and as we know, the Broncos score a try and win the game. But we've seen teams for 10 minutes a number of times this season. In fact, we saw it over the weekend, given how many sin bins there were, defend a man short. Melbourne against Manly, it was 11 versus 12 yeah. for a moment there. There wasn't a flurry of points suddenly because it was 11 versus 12. So you can defend your own line and not concede a try when you're down a man. We've seen that a bunch of times this year. So while they're disadvantaged, quite obviously, it wasn't a death sentence for the Roosters. So you can't say that it was a poor decision from that point of view because it cost the Roosters the game. You can't also say that Jared Sutton has refereed the Broncos at Suncorp 15 times for 15 straight wins for the Broncos mm. and make any point out of that because if you are, what you're suggesting is that, he's a cheat. that Jared Sutton is a flat-out cheat. Yeah, ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's uh, outrageous. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and the... Further to the point regarding the sin binning, we had two teams over the weekend who were reduced to 11 men at times. The Gold Coast Titans and the Manly Sea Eagles, and guess what? They both won. So the sin binning might have hampered the Roosters. It's not the reason the Roosters were beaten, but still, I don't agree that the sin bin should have occurred. For me, a sin binning for foul plays, for deliberate foul play. You know, deliberate and excessive foul play. I don't think it was a deliberate... Dylan Napa didn't deliberately try and break Corbin's image. No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Or, I, di I didn't think it was a sin bin, but I'm, I'm disappointed that the match review committee haven't charged Dylan Napa because he was coming in for... Now, the interpretation around shoulder charges has changed, but he was coming in to make a tackle where the shoulder was going to be the first point of contact and the photos show you. He's, he's in the position of a 747. Mm. He's got his head extended... He's got his head extended away from his left shoulder because he's trying to make a left shoulder point of contact tackle. Sims steps away from that left shoulder because that's what you do. 
when a 120-kilogram front row is coming at you out of the line the way uh, Napa was, you try and avoid the contact. There's no fault. I can't believe people can even contemplate saying, if Sims doesn't move, well, of course he's going to move because it's self-preservation yep. on his part as much as anything. Once you're in that position and you've come out as hard as you are with your arms down by your side for liftoff almost, you've lost control of the point of contact. Yeah. And if Sims only has to move 10 centimetres, and that 10 centimetres changes everything about the tackle. He got there too late. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. Dylan Napa got to the tackle too late because if, like Dean Fare, he gets there in time, he makes the tackle he was intending to make. But his error was in his timing. He got there too late, and there should be a consequence for getting to a tackle too late and colliding with your head. And that's one of the reasons the shoulder charge was banned, because of the chance of incidental contact with the head and the damage it can cause. And we know what a shoulder charge or a tackle of that nature, gone wrong, can do, unfortunately. It wasn't on live TV only a couple of years ago, but we know the consequences it can have. I don't have the defibrillator within reach, so I'm going to take the conversation somewhere else for fear of (laughs) you working yourself up into a sweat and me having to do mouth-to-mouth. God forbid. Now, on Saturday night, uh, our colleague Andrew Voss uh, did a great job covering... A chaotic situation, and it was it chaotic, was chaotic to in the, the extreme. extreme. <laughs> that, that that a lot of the viewers on Fox League would not have known the bedlam in the commentary box that was unfolding as the producers and the co-commentators and um, Vossi trying to call the game while also checking rules and timings, etc., etc. Bedlam, and then Vossi crossed into the Fox League post-game show and, and gave us a comprehensive wrap. So well done, Andrew Voss. Watching that. Uh, what comment do you make, Was I suppose it will be along the lines of a billion-dollar sport unable to count to 10 minutes successfully. Unfortunately, it's a very NRL error. And that might be tough on the NRL because all sporting organisations have situations like this of different natures, but at some point there's an officiating blue or a timekeeping situation or whatever it might be. I can go back to a situation in the early 2000s where the Brisbane Broncos had two points deducted because they had 14 players on the field in a game against the Tigers at Campbelltown at a time when the NRL had completely dropped the ball in the way interchanges were made and players were running on and off the field under their own volition without check from any sideline officials. And the system we have now, it comes about because of the inquiry that was conducted into that situation by Sir Lawrence Street. And I jumped up and down at the time about it to Graham Annesley and David Gallup, who were running the NRL at the time. And I said, fellas, you've got a problem because you're not in charge of interchange and there's way too much grey area, and I can show you, and I did, on the old um, NRL on Fox Wednesday night show, once a week as it was back in the old days, and pulled out with Graham Annesley sitting there on the desk and said, Here's, here's six or seven examples of teams having 14 players on the field. In this situation, the Broncos actually scored a try. Well, I think it was Shane Webke coming off the field. A player runs onto the field, joins in. They've got 14 out there. They scored a try and go on to win the game. The league took the points off them, but Sir Lawrence Street said, you know what, you guys are, are all over the place. 
and you need to get fair dinkum about how things are conducted on the sideline. And now here we are in 2018, we can't even count to 10 minutes. Because I watched back, I, I didn't see it live, we making our, our way back to the hotel in Townsville, and we get back there, and there's all sorts of drama exploding on Twitter, and we're trying to watch the game as well on the phone and the, in the car and stuff, and you can't, again, you can't quite hear it properly. But very obviously, there's a drama with the sin bin and the time. And when I watched it back when I got home yesterday, I'm like, well, I mean, how can you get it so wrong? Eight minutes had gone past, and they're back out there, and you're thinking, well, it was quite obvious. They all left the field, Curtis Scott, Dylan Walker, and Appy Corusau all left the field at the same time. There's no, it, it was, you know, 52 minutes into the game. So they can't come back on the two Sinbin players until 62 minutes into the game. But there they are. Dylan Walker, Corusau runs back on in the 60th minute. It's not hard to work out. So there's drama, and they'll change the system, but the horses bolted in that game. Now, I don't think it changed, again, I don't think it affected the result. No. I think Manly were always going to win it. For Melbourne, it masked the real dramas for Melbourne, but keep going. But how do you get into this situation where you're not in charge? I mean, they've had to change the way the clock works in recent times because we had the problem down in, in Melbourne again with that Monday night game a few seasons back where Melbourne scored, was it after the siren? Was the play the ball in time? Was it beyond yeah. the siren? We had to change the way the siren works and how the officials use the timekeepers in that situation. Well, how do we get to this situation now in 2018 where they can't count to 10 minutes? That's crazy stuff. It's just slipped under the radar, to use Desi's term, and, and the NRL on the sideline is in control of basically everything except timing... The sin binnings, which falls down to the two clubs represented on the day. And if the away team doesn't have a representative, the home team does it. Well, it's an easy, easy fix. NRL control everything. They say they want to control the game. Head office wants to be in control of the way the game goes, changes to the game, everything in the game to wrestle back control from the clubs. We'll do it. And I know at Mudgee yesterday, veteran ground manager Bobby Lanigan, the change had been made. He was there knowing that if there were sin binnings, he was absolutely all over it. 24 hours too late, but that's the easy fix, and that's what's going to happen. There will be nothing sideline in control of the clubs anymore. It will all be the NRL. So what should happen now is that error has been made and they'll make a change there. But those in charge of the football department for the NRL, Jason King and others who work in that department, need to sit down now and completely go through the manual and go through scenarios in games and work out where are their loopholes and where are we weak in regards to a potential situation, whether it's due to timing or interchanges, or whatever it may be, is there a situation where we can be found out again? Where is is it likely to expose itself? And until they do that, then they're just leaving themselves open to another cock-up like we had on Saturday night. A complete review of policies and procedures around game day was. Might sound boring to some, but it's important for the NRL. Let's talk about dummy halves and cynical penalties. Oh, yes. Because oh, this... It's reaching and, a new level. And trends happen pretty quickly, don't they, in the NRL? Once something happens and teams cotton on, that you can gain an advantage now, whether it's a tactic or something in the play the ball or a, a, a ruling loophole that can be exploited, teams, once they cotton onto it, 
they all go with it. And we're just seeing at the moment the most cynical play in the game currently where a dummy half will pick up the ball and fire it into a man who's just made a tackle. Invariably, a player who's made a legs tackle, sometimes a very good legs tackle, but the play of the ball can happen so quickly, he's still thereabouts in the play of the ball. But I think there was a couple over the weekend where, especially in the Roosters-Broncos game, Anthony Milford fires one into one of the Roosters and gains a penalty. That was as cynical as it gets because he was directly behind the play the ball and not affecting anything that was happening. But the referee's hands, I guess, at the moment are tied. But I thought in that situation there, they could say, you know what, it's just play on because he was clear of the ruck, had no effect on it. It's play on, boys, and just do your best. So at some point that has to happen because... What we're seeing at the moment makes the game look silly. Was it in the Penrith Tigers game to start the round where there was a player left on the ground and the dummy half actually threw it into him laying on the ground? That that was top of the pops in terms of cynical dummy half passes this season. Well, James Seguillaro last week against the Raiders missed the man he was trying to hit. It was an Elliot Whitehead. Because Elliot yesterday in Mudgee did something very similar. The dummy half spotted him in the wrong position, fired a ball at him, and he took evasive action. So... This is actually growing a life of its own now. <laughs> and, and is the simple fix was that the referees just look at it and go, you know what, that's uh, understandable that the ball could have been thrown there and he's in the way. Yep, penalty. Otherwise, there's no way you would have normally thrown the ball there, bar to get a penalty. Sorry, uh, it's, a, it's against you. You threw the ball away, scrum. Is it in the hands of the referees? Is it too much of a grey area? Are we burdening the whistleblowers even more to say, listen, boys, if it's that cynical where a dummy half is actually deliberately aiming at an out-of-position player where he otherwise would not, then go against the attacking team? Uh, you know, it's got to be, I think, to solve it, because if if you're going to rule it black and white, well, then you can't stop it because you just players will use it as a tactic and get a penalty and a fresh set of six if they're working it away out of their own end or wherever they are on the field. But I think you've just got to allow the referees to use their judgment and their common sense. Now, people will say, well, they've got no common sense and they've got no consistency. Well, we blow about rulings in all manner of areas of the game, so this is just another one. I'm happy to let them say, if you are passing towards your intended receiver yes. and there's interference with the ball, yes. then that's fair enough. Uh, that's... But if you're firing it into the ground or behind you, or quite cynically trying to do nothing other than get a penalty, well, then you've chosen to do that. You're not trying to pass it to a teammate, and it's pretty obvious. You know the ones that in which they're trying to cynically milk a penalty, and when they are actually trying to pass to a teammate and they get interfered with, I'm happy to leave it in the hands of the referees, and if it's cynical, it's just play on. Bad luck. Time for a funny story was on the Gold Coast on Saturday. One of the beauties of being in the commentary box is that we have the referees' microphones into our ear. For the viewers at home, they're often faded up and down at the relevant times, but we hear a lot more conversation between referees and players and perhaps always comes across clearly at home. At one stage on the run on Saturday, I won't mention the player, uh, there was a conversation between the player and the referee, and the referee basically said, listen, mate, I'm getting sick of it. It's just far too cynical, to which the player responded, cynical? What's that? <laughs> Is that where we go in a circle? <laughs> yes. No. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, so Is that right? Run on with the dictionaries, boys. <laughs> Have it in the back pocket, and that way when the referee uses one of those really, really long and difficult words, 
you'll know what it means. That's good. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Hey, the Sharks have won five games in a row. Yeah. And we were talking not that long ago about at times how they can win ugly, but you know what? They just know how to win. They're complete professionals. They're impressive there against a dogged, no pun intended, Bulldogs mm. yesterday who for a little while there looked like they might cause a bit of an upset. And while they're off their game compared to where they were the previous month, the Sharks just know how to win in those tight ones. They did it again yesterday against Canterbury. And slowly but surely, they're climbing their way up the ladder for a team that was pretty ordinary through the first month of the season. They're now 7-4 and four and find themselves in fourth position on the ladder. I was surprised yesterday when I had to plug the game coming up after our Mudgee game that when I looked at the record of the Sharks over the last uh, month and a bit, that they are actually the hottest team in the league. Mm. If, if you'd ask me who's the hottest team in the league in terms of winning streak, I, I don't know whether I would have nominated the Sharks. They've won, won five in a row now. Five in a row, they're on the climb, and the fact that they've been winning without Gallen and Lewis and other injuries and shuffling to the back line, yeah, you wonder what's going to happen when they get their experienced players back and settle on a team now that Dugan has returned and Val Holmes has gone back to a wing. Yeah, the Sharks, a team to watch. And maybe Andrew Fafita goes from a, a black, white and blue jumper to a sky blue jumper because I can't believe that suddenly there's a chance, having said that I'm not going to play for New South Wales, I'm going to be considered only the Tonga, that Andrew Fafita uh, may well run out for New South Wales in Game 1 of the Origin Series. That's a, a, a story in itself, it isn't is, it? It is, but counting against him is the fact that there are a lot of contenders in the front row position who I think have really strong claims Oh, but if he's well. available, he gets a run. Yeah, and Greg Alexander answered exactly that when asked on radio the other day. If Fafita's available, would you recommend to Brad Fittler that Fafita be picked, a long pause, and then Brandy said, yes. You just have to. And if you can convince him, and I think for the most part this season, I've seen a couple, but not that many, he's got that out of his system where he, if he can't win the tackle running north-south, straight down the field, where he just thinks, I've got to win the play somehow and starts running sideways, ruining the shape of the attack completely. We've seen it for New South Wales in the past. We saw it for Cronulla in the finals last year. It hurts his team Bifold when he does it. For the most part, I think he's got that out of his game under the coaching, no doubt, of Shane Flanagan, who's a savvy operator. Um, if he can replicate what he's doing um, for the Sharks for New South Wales, then he's a walk-up start. But we'll wait and see exactly how it pans out, I guess, this week because he has to make up... They have to know exactly the situation this week before they announce the team next week. They don't want to be embarrassed by announcing him and then him saying, oh, you know what, no, I've changed my mind again. Exactly, and one more round before the Origin teams are selected, and you'll call Andrew Fafita's final Origin audition this weekend was. It's late in the round, it's Sunday, it's Newcastle against Cronulla at McDonald Jones Stadium, and yep, this week they'll sort out exactly where Andrew sits, I'm sure, and he'll run out and hopefully, for his sake, go back gangbusters against Newcastle. Well, they're on the road up there in Newcastle, as you mentioned early on Sunday afternoon, but I would imagine that um, they'll be too good for the Knights, who are still really missing Mitchell Pearce. That's quite obvious. I just can't get warm to Brock Lamb and his con contribution in the halves. I think they're, you know, obviously, you know, I'd be going elsewhere other than Brock Lamb, whatever that may be. Um, but for the moment, while ever he's in the team, I just don't think they're the same team as they were um, with Jack Hogger in it earlier. And then before that, obviously, 
Mitchell Pearce. While we're talking about the weekend coming up, let's run through the yep. games. It begins on Thursday. Round 12, I mean, this is the halfway mark of the season. And off the back of next week and ahead of Origin 1, we might well just uh, go back to our end of first term report. We yep. did after eight weeks, after which was the one-third the way mark through the regular season. We might uh, revisit our topics, our categories there for teams. I was thinking about it over the weekend. We had the Roosters in the is there a chance we actually suck category, a category of one as it turns out. I've still, <laughs> I've still got the – we'll talk about that in a moment, but I've still got the Roosters in that category. They're barely a break-even team at the moment. They're six wins, five losses. You know, they looked good the week before against mm. the Warriors who were down on troops. We'll get to that maybe in a moment. Broncos – and Eels to kick things off. The Eels, well, I've had the, had the Redfield pen through them for a month or more. Um, nothing's changed. It's going to be a long, awful second half of the season when you know, mathematically, yes, they're still in the hunt, but their season is done. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I can't see them beating Brisbane. No Kenny Edwards and Bo Scott, sadly, doing his ACL. Not a good weekend to be named Scott in the NRL. Incidentally, was with... Both Scott season over. Matt Scott injuring his knee and Curtis Scott sent off. I'm glad I'm not Matt Scott. But anyway, when it comes to uh, this one, Broncos should win at Suncorp, surely. Yeah, Matt Scott, uh, for a moment there on Saturday night, we feared that he may yes. have done a, another ACL. It looks like it's only a medial and hopefully uh, best case scenario for Matt Scott and the Cowboys who need a break. Yeah, the Broncos for mine also on that Thursday night. Friday, two games, the first of them. We're both in Canberra at GIO Stadium. The Raiders taking on the Sea Eagles. And I think this is, it's early to be saying, must-win games. I thought the game between the Cowboys and the Rabbitohs was a must-win game for North Queensland. They didn't win that one. They're three wins and eight losses. I think at four and seven, going through the Raiders' second half of the season, I think this is a must-win game for Canberra. Yeah, you said they that. have to win this, otherwise their season also, I think, is done. I'm picking Canberra to win this game, and that might sound strange given that Manly have had back-to-back wins, and really impressively so against Melbourne Storm. But Dylan Walker, he's out for up to six weeks with that fractured eye socket. And Trent Hodkinson, what a remarkable season he's had going from... Newcastle, I think, basically in March, to the Sharks in April, to the Eagles in May as a reserve, and now probably into the starting 13. Um, I just think Canberra at home on a chilly Friday evening, desperation stakes time for them. I reckon Canberra can get the job done. Yeah, I'm not convinced about that. I'm going to say that the Sea Eagles showed plenty of ticker, plenty of guts to get that they win did. against an underperforming, admittedly, Melbourne team on Saturday night. I think the Seagulls on the road can can win because I know if they've had if they have the lead with ten to go, I think Manly will go on with it. You can't say that about Canberra. Ricky Stewart at the press conference again after the game yesterday, he just it was you know press the press the button and play any of Ricky's losing press conferences from any time in the last two or three seasons. We just don't know how to get the job done, is and what he said, basically. Well, here's some stats to back that up. They've had seven losses this season, and in five of them now, they have led at the 60-minute mark, or, or post-60-minute mark. So they've been in front in the final quarter and lost five times. That's a, that's a damning statistic. And their run home in the second half of the season is pretty horrendous. After we get through 
um, the bye for them in round 13 once they play the Seagulls this week. They go the Panthers, mm. they've got the Tigers, they've got the Broncos, they play the Bulldogs and the Cowboys back-to-back weeks, but then they've got the Sharks, the Storm, the Panthers, the Tigers, the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, and the Warriors. Okay, difficult. It's murderers row mm. they face. All of those teams at the moment pushing for premiership contention. And the Raiders have got to... They've now got to win eight... At least eight, maybe nine of their remaining 13. Well, With a tough draw. I'll give you a price about them winning eight or nine of their remaining 13, given that draw. It's a horror show. Their season, for me, it's Redfield Pen Time again. Wazza.com. <laughs> no. <laughs> Get on gamble with Gamble <laughs> responsibly. If you're prone to a punt, <laughs> gamble responsibly. Cowboys and the Storm. Oh, my goodness. North Queensland at home again at 1300-Smile Stadium on Saturday night. Cameron Smith is back. That will make a world of difference for Melbourne. But the Cowboys aren't playing that badly that they can't win this one. But I'm going to say Melbourne on the road, given what happened on Saturday night against Manly. There'll be a response, and they'll beat the Cowboys. Yeah, and that was probably the last roll of the dice for the Cowboys that heartbreaking defeat up there, and I, I just think that Craig Bellamy won't tolerate what Melbourne Storm threw up against Manly for another week. They'll lift with Cam Smith back and beat North Queensland. To my team in that one-team category of is there a chance we actually suck, the Roosters versus the Titans, this one at Central Coast Stadium, the first of the three games on Super Saturday on Fox League. Yeah, Roosters to win this one. I called the Gold Coast last weekend. Really happy for Garth Brennan and the team after a five-game losing streak. They were in a hole. They were struggling. And I can tell you that Lara was actually invited into the dressing room after the Gold Coast victory, and there was a hell of a lot of emotion in that Gold Coast Titans dressing room. A few tears, in fact, just of relief. Uh, so well done to the Titans, but travelling to Sydney to play the Roosters after their defeat to Brisbane will be a mountain a bit too high to climb. And uh, just before I leave the Gold Coast, I'm looking forward to seeing the Roosters pack, who have stood up in recent weeks, going against the likes of Wallace, just re-signed, Arrow, and a few others. Many of them who aren't particularly big players, but gee, they're boisterous. Uh, Jai Arrow, I-, I love watching him play. I'm going to tip the Roosters, but I think it's a two-point game. I, wow. There's no fancy margin either way in this result because I think the Titans on their day can play some pretty good footy as we saw with their win against the Knights over the weekend. I'm going to say the Roosters, but boy, only just maybe it's a Cooper Cronk field goal or a Luke Keary field goal that separates the teams at full time. Second game on Super Saturday, the Warriors up against the Rabbitohs. This is a beauty. Yeah, I can't wait to call this. Was uh, Warriors at home, but South Sydney... I love watching them at the moment. I think I said that previous weeks, their, their attack and the way the forward pack is performing. Damien Cook out of dummy half. Greg Inglis looking 10 years younger. You can go on and on and on about South Sydney at the moment. I think South can go over there and win. I think they can beat the Warriors. Isaac Luke was fantastic on return for the Warriors again last weekend. Probably the difference in helping them get over Parramatta in what was a pretty flat game. Uh, but South Sydney against their former member, Isaac Luke, um, I reckon the Bunnies can do it. Yeah, Isaac Luke off contract. <laughs> John Sutton off contract. Both of them playing enormous There's another one. football at the moment. John Sutton, of course, trying to extend uh, his career with the Rabbitohs. Panthers and Dragons, game of the round. What a contest this will be. 7.30 Saturday night at 
Penrith, it should be a sellout within hours, surely. Yeah, and Penrith, to win this on the back of their forward pack, I've been having the discussion with a lot of people, just a basically a water-cooler topic. Do the Panthers have the best pack rotation in the league? I think they do. Others tend to not agree, but I'm looking forward to the clash up front. Penrith will win. And was before you get your tip, uh, before kickoff against the Tigers, the Panthers did something really, really good that I was dubious about before they did it. They had a player re-signing announcement. They deliberately kept it a tight secret. And about 10 minutes before kickoff, with 15,000 people there, general manager of football, Phil Gould, goes onto the ground, short address saying, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming on a Thursday. Cool night to reward you. You're going to be first to hear about a re-signing. Cue the big screen. Josh Mansour pops up and says, you didn't think you were getting rid of me that easily, did you? (laughs) To which there is a boisterous, really meant, heartfelt round of applause around the stadium. It was a great initiative, a great way to start the night. Well done, Penrith. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, Nice way to uh, announce a player re-signing actually just before kickoff when the the people who matter most, the diehards, are there in the stadium, as opposed to doing it maybe on a Tuesday morning when it's a slow news day and thinking we might get a few headlines. Well, I thought that was terrific. Yeah, yeah. And he was actually on the field but in disguise. So as soon as the announcement happened, then Josh Mansour was there to be interviewed by Gus and and it was just executed perfectly. It'll be easy to get it wrong. They got it right. Uh, I'm going to say the Dragons will win that. Okay. I just like the Dragons, the way they're playing. And while maybe there has been a bit of a letdown off the back of those two big weeks they had, Anzac Day... And then the game against Melbourne at Cogra, um, they found a way to win um, yesterday in a game they might have lost. I think they'll regroup and there'll be one last concerted effort with a bunch of players quite obviously trying to push their origin claims. Um, if, if the last game before the team announcement matters, it, it probably shouldn't. But maybe at the moment for New South Wales, having lost 11 of the last 12 series, everything counts. And I think there'll be that little bit of extra motivation there. Not that the Panthers haven't got claims on origin spots themselves. No. There could be 12 players in this game was uh, gunning for origin selection. So, you know, what a highlight. The top two teams in the league, you'll only see it on Fox League, teams one and two with 12 players across both teams gunning for origin. And just incidentally, Paul McGregor came into the box very quickly after the Mudgee win yesterday. And as he left, he looked at Danny Badiris and smiled and said, how many are you taking off me, Bedsy? <laughs> Uh, Danny didn't answer, but he could lose six or seven, Mary. Well, and that's just for Origin. What about the Pacific Test Yes, on the week of the second Origin game, the standalone weekend? Um, you've got the Kiwis in action playing England in Denver, Colorado. You've got the Pacific Test in Campbelltown. There could be 10-plus Dragons Gee. all playing that weekend. I might go... go and train with Mary at Wynn Stadium. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> trust me. They're not going that bad. <laughs> I, I, I know my limitations. <laughs> I don't. And you've got to know yours. I'm going to run straight at Mary. <laughs> we spoke about the Knights and the Sharks up there. We think the Sharks will win on Sunday at McDonald Jones Stadium. Tigers and the Bulldogs play the last game of the round at ANZ. I think as game as the Bulldogs were, I think the Tigers, disappointing effort from them against the Panthers in an awkward stop-start game, lots of penalties in that Thursday night encounter had been built up to be a, a great contest. Never really got going. Their attack has got issues quite obviously. But I think their defence, for the most part, is still very good. At times, pretty good. But mostly, mostly it's very good. I think they'll be too good 
Maybe just for the Bulldogs. As commentators was, we look at all the games and you can't help but think, okay, what are the elements in here that we're going to research this week and what's going to make it interesting? Josh Reynolds set to return for West Tigers. Lo and behold, against the club. Great story. He left the Canterbury Bulldogs uh, Tigers to win that against the determined dogs who will come up just short. They are our thoughts for round 12 coming up this weekend. Live, of course, every game ad-free during play on Fox League. Give us your thoughts about today's show, about today's topics, what you made of our talk about uh, the NRL and the uh, sin binning and timing, uh, Dylan Narper and Corbin Sims. You can add to them my multitude of responses over the weekend. I've had 500-something responses about Dylan Narper and my thoughts on his tackle and maybe what you thought about Melbourne Manly and the um, sending off of Curtis Scott. All of that. Give us your thoughts on the dummy halves and the cynical penalties. At Warren Smith Fox is my Twitter handle. You are at Matt Russell Fox. Yep. And we, we had some feedback. Nick Duncan, for example, he wanted the interchange drop to six and changed to replacements. Thanks, Nick. Kevin, the kangaroo. The kangaroo we didn't hit coming back from Mudgee. Uh, why is the HIA a free interchange? I think it's because uh, a head gash fixes, a knee heals itself, an elbow gets better, but HIA can, can uh, rule you out indefinitely so to speak uh, it's it's catastrophic so that's why we treat that differently the nz tiger uh the penalty advantage rule he wants that brought in like we see in the big bash or, or rugby union whereby they have a signal to say that you're going to get penalized and basically give you a free play and if you don't advance significantly or, or get a good outcome it comes back for the penalty so good thinking new zealand tiger and abraham back to this interchange discussion we had last week was he wants eight interchanges it's sort of a hybrid system so four on the bench, two players to be used as interchange players and two players strictly as replacements. So once they go on, they don't come off. Essentially, that means they have six interchanges and two replacements as part of that eight interchange uh, setup. Complicated, I know, but clearly Abraham has been thinking about it. So good on you for getting back to us, boys and think, girls. Yeah, I think the interchange will change uh, over the next couple of seasons. Maybe not next year, but maybe for 2020, perhaps. And But... How it actually does change, we spoke about this quite obviously last week. I think there's a lot of uh, different ways it could potentially go and I'd like to see something different, maybe just a little tweak on what we have quite obviously uh, right now. I did have one uh, response, just as uh, one final thought here. Um, I can't remember who sent it in to me on Twitter last week or the week before and it went along the lines of when we're not calling or working at games uh, during the course of the week, what do we do on the days where we're not, how do we fill it? How do we basically fill our time on the days where we're not calling football games? Well, when we're not calling football games, we're getting ready to call football That's games. That's very good. That's pretty much how it works, isn't and, it? And I know you do this too, Oz, but what about this? Monday, Fox Sports Digital. Tuesday, Sky News and the NRL Tonight teams. Yep, team Wednesday, Digital. Thursday, Sideline. Friday, Sideline. Saturday, Gold Coast. Sunday, Mudgee. Monday, this wonderful podcast and more digital, plus the prep thrown in. We've got plenty of time on our hands. Oh, yeah. Just ask for cheese and kisses. <laughs> and the kids. Yeah. Sometimes I'm for, I forget who I'm married to. It's busy, but we love it, and we wouldn't have it any other way. We're the luckiest blokes in the world, was. Thanks, Matty. It's been good fun. It has been. See you next See week. See you next week on You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all.